Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. I want to dive in. Got a lot for us to uh, uh, get into this morning in the Word. I hope you're hungry for the Word of God. I hope you're, especially in these times, pressing into God, pressing into His Word. And uh, again, let us know how we can help you with that. We've got all kinds of different avenues. We're going to be in the book of Philippians uh, this morning, chapters 3. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 21 this morning. And in this series on hope, we've been looking at some of the main promises that fortify our understanding of hope, what we look forward to. Um, someone asked the first service, you know, I thought we were going to get into kind of like the end time stuff, what's going to happen towards the end, and we're getting there, we're going to get there in this series, but first we want to just focus on the fundamental foundation of the promises of God that we have that define our hope, where we set our eyes, when we talk about our hope for the future, do we understand as believers, what, what it is that f- uh, firms up the foundation of our hope. And this morning, I want to look at this idea of the hope of resurrection, the hope of physical bodily resurrection, and why that is such a very powerful and important element to our hope um, this morning. So um, if you will find your ways to Philippians, find your way to Philippians chapter 3. Um, that's where we're going to dive in this morning. Let me just introduce this time by saying this, is that, uh, well, let me give, pull up my right slide here. Uh, this morning, this is kind of the line I want us to, and hopefully you'll take this week and think about, the idea that hope for wholeness is ultimately hope for a resurrection. Hope for wholeness is the hope of resurrection. Now, folks, we all have a desire, a hope, a desire deep inside us to be whole, to be healthy, right? We, we desire this, and this is across um, cultures around the world throughout time, is we have a desire to be healthy, don't we? And a desire to be whole in this community, right? Part of the ethos of Aspen is mind, body, spirit. And uh, it's, it's part of this idea of trying to be healthy and pursue these things. So I just, right out of the chute, I just want to ask you though, in this idea of being whole, where do you spend most of your time? Right? A lot of our community, a lot of the world we spend, we get consumed with physical health, right? And sometimes we get sick or something happens. Well, that just has a way of consuming us, right? Or sometimes we get consumed with emotional health. And that, that can really consume us. But what about spiritual health? And again, Jesus came to save us and to save the entire whole person, everything, mind, body, our physical body, everything, all of us. Jesus came to redeem and is in the process of redeeming and transforming us, right, from the inside out. Um, and so just this idea of being whole and, and connected to that is this big question of what kind of person are we becoming? Do we have a vision? In other words, our hope, what I set my hope for out there is intimately connected to my understanding of the kind of person I'm becoming. Right? Is my hope for the future should not be disconnected from what is going to happen to me in this idea of wholeness. And so it raises the question, what's our example? Where do we look to for a hope right? for um, the kind of person that we should be? And obviously, as we're going to see, only Jesus in all the world is not only the perfect example of a person who is whole and healthy, um, yeah, but he's the person that has brought, made the way for us to experience wholeness. And folks, this is what redemption, salvation, being born again, all this language is all about, again, restoring to us what God desires us to be. And it is only our creator who knows us intimately and who has this great uh, vision of, of what we should become and what we can become if we will turn to him and lean into him. And this is the work of salvation. And again, not only with, with us, but this is God's work with all creation. He's going to redeem, renew, restore in the process of renewing um, this, this earth. And so... Uh, Let's drill in here a little bit this morning, this idea of what kind of person are we becoming? Um, and understanding that, thinking about that. I think I can speak for all of us to say um, there's things about ourselves that we just don't like, right? Everybody with me? Is there attitudes? Is it things you've done? Is things you said? Is it habits of your life? Is there struggles in your life? Is there things about you that you just don't like? And all of us would say, 
If we were honest, yes. And all of us would say there's things that we have battled in life to change, right, about ourselves. It's things that are holding us back. And, and um, I mean, right, we're all honest. We have pity party days, don't we, where we're, we're sorry. And sometimes it's just about our circumstances. But sometimes it goes deeper to where we have to really deal with who we are and how we're behaving and what I'm thinking. All of these things holistically, right, as as a person. And so it raises the question for us is, well, what, where's the vision? Where's the hope, right, for some transformation? And, and folks, this is the gospel again is Jesus. When he comes to save, he does a new work. Our spirit comes alive inside us first. And God starts this renovation process of our soul and our spirit. And transformation happens on the heart first. Um, and then the next phase of that is our body. Right and and uh, this in this life we know that this body is under decay because of sin. But the promise of salvation is that God is going to resurrect your body, my body, one day when He returns, just like He did Jesus's, and He's going to make you whole, and complete, and give you a glorious body like Jesus in the eternal body that is capable of living in heaven and for all eternity and to be able to have intimate fellowship with your creator and with each other forever and ever. Now that element of physical resurrection is something we in the West, and I believe in the church, we have minimized that that promise. We've minimized that reality. We've minimized that work that God is going to do when Jesus comes back, right, to resurrect the dead. And uh, we see slowly it's eroded in the church and in our, even our understanding as, as the hope of that. Um, it's only folks within Christianity, in, in Judeo-Christianity, between um, the Old Testament and the New Testament, where the body is seen as good. Remember, God created everything. It was what? Good. Right? It is fallen, and this is going to the result of death and aging and decay, but God is in the process of restoring. He's not setting aside the body. He's going to resurrect it and give ourselves, as the sheep says, a new spiritual body that is able to, like Jesus, right, go on into eternity. He's going to restore. All of it is good. Around the world, every culture, other religions, this idea of the body being good is not the case. Whether it's Greek thought, you can go through whatever thought. The body is seen as something that it fades away, right, in, at the end of life and just flutters off into, you know, the universe or something. Now, here's what I want to drill in for you to think about is that that thought has crept into the church in America. We've minimized the promise and the power of what God is going to do with the body one day. And let me just prove this a little bit. And again, uh, just hang with me. Some of us are old enough or at least went to church in smaller communities where when you went to church, the cemetery of your friends' relatives was around the church. Still, you go to small towns today or even inner, sometimes in churches, old established churches, the cemetery was right next to the church. Now, our understanding of that today is that's morbid. Wow, cemetery. We've tried everything we can do in our day and age to remove the reality of death. What? Away from us. There is many, we have whole generations that's never even seen a dead body. In other words, we do a memorial service. The body's removed, right? We don't, we don't even think about that anymore. But it was there. Why? Because on your way to church and you'd walk through the cemetery, it was a, a vivid reminder of all right, how short life is, right? It was a vivid reminder, too, that one day Jesus has power over death. And that those graves will open like they did when Jesus raised from the dead. And, and he will bring completion, right, to our body again. Does this make sense? Anybody grow up in a church where you, where the cemetery is right next to the church or been to, yeah, some, some of us, but you don't see that anymore, right? We've removed cemeteries of a thing of the past almost, right? So here, let me drill a little bit more. In Judeo-Christianity, you see all of the, the funerals and, 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 and the, uh, the, 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 the um, practice of, of a funeral is the body was important always, Right? You always had the body present. It was there, and there was a reason why it was there. And if you go back in America, is that in the Christian church, the body was there. The casket was there, 
right? And you took the casket and the body out to the cemetery and you saw it going to the grave and it was all gospel. It was all uh, resurrection hope to realize that Jesus, just like he went into the tomb, right? Is that, um, and we get this from baptism, is that, you know what? He's going to come and raise up that body again, just like his was raised for all eternity. That's the hope of the resurrection. But what we have done today, and I'll just throw this out, and again, don't, this is not judgment, don't freak out, okay, but what the tendency today is, we've moved towards what? Cremation. We've moved, right, to a point where we just, and by the way, just a little side note, is nowhere in Judeo-Christianity was the body ever burned. The body was buried because it was valued as good, and God is going to redeem this. It is only in paganism and other religions that the body was ever burned. And the reason for the burning, whether it be Rome or Greek thought or, or Eastern thought, was that, again, this idea that, what? The body just flutters off into the universe and becomes one with everything else, right? Which is diabolically the opposite of what Christianity is, all right? So I just throw this example out for us to think about, wow, how far we as a church are from the radical promise and expectation and hope of when Jesus returns, he's going to make us whole. Because we all desire a body. We desire fellowship. We desire, even now, right? We desire a hug. We desire physical contact. Because you were created in the image of God with a body, by the way, that your Savior has a body at the right hand of the Father right now that you're going to embrace when you enter heaven right? And you're going to have an eternity with each other just more real than we, we imagine. We have this pie in the sky, this weird, more Eastern kind of vagueness thought out there than we do a biblical thought of things. Now, don't freak out, right? Now, this isn't a judgment thing. Is it God? He, can, he brings the body together. Whatever happens, right, is that this is not a judgment on cremation. It's, it's something we just need to think about as a church, is we have done our culture, and it's crept in the church, we've removed the reality of death, the rawness of a dead body away from us, right? It's sanitized. It's away from the celebration of what uh, should be happening, right, when God's people come together and weep over a loved one who's gone on, but rejoice, and here's the body, and the promise is going to the grave, and just like Jesus, it will rise again. Does this make sense, folks? Right? Is we need to realize because, again, just think about in, in just our Christian experience. Where is this radical hope, this radical understanding of what God is going to do for you, for your body, and un, a proper understanding of health and wholeness and redemption, the fullness of salvation, right? And so this comes back down to the, to the idea of what kind of person are we becoming? What kind of person are we becoming? I want to drill into this this morning to build this, fortify, right, this, this proper understanding of, of resurrection hope. And we're going to see Paul's heartbeat that he, he talks about all that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew, right, he, again, here's another little side note is that in the Bible, Old Testament, Jesus, I mean, it, the Judas uh, or Hebrew thinking was holistic, Love the Lord your God, the great Shema. Listen, hear, O Israel, right? You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your entire being needs to be involved, right? Nowhere in Scripture do we have what we have in Western culture that has impacted our educational system or anything else that the intellect is removed from the rest of my emotion or faith or anything else. And that was never a part of Scripture. So it, it impacts how we read it, which goes to our understanding of God's salvation of our entire body. Is we think, we talk about salvation, talk about my spiritual life, and we remove that from my physical life. Right? And, and again, there's so many avenues I could go here in the sense of our hope even for healing. Our hope and the reason we pray for healing now. Why did Jesus heal in the now, knowing that that body's going to die again? Why did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Just to live a little longer and then go back to the grave. Why when Jesus um, raised from the dead or was crucified on that day where the tombs opened up? Read that section in Matthew. And the dead were, people were walking around. Remember, folks, the other thing you need to understand is there was hundreds of eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Hundreds. It was revealed to over 500 at the time. So when all this was written, there were eyewitnesses that approved it. Now we saw it. 
right? This wasn't some just guru out in the middle of obscurity somewhere that when all this went on, again, you do away with the resurrection of Jesus, you do away with Christianity. Because our faith is, is, is the whole idea of salvation resides on the idea of the salvation, the full redemption of this body. Because it was good. It was created in the image of God. And God is at work at redeeming it, right, for all eternity, right? And so what kind of person are we becoming? I want to give you a harsh quote. to <laughs> C.S. Lewis. He says, each day we are becoming a creature of splendid glory or one of unthinkable horror. Wow. And that's pretty much what scripture says. And folks, I think we can relate. That's really harsh, but I, let's just bring it down to our personal. If, if I give into my flesh, if I give into my flesh and my hope for the future is set upon what I can do, make myself physically healthy, make my, just try to get emotionally healthy, whatever, right? Is, is the, the, the horror, right? Is that I end up actually being down the road the way I age. I don't age well and, and, and actually the very thing that I've tried to maintain, I start losing. I start losing. And what did Jesus say? Right? He simply said, if you don't lose your life for me, right, you're, you're not going to find it. You're going to lose life if you don't lose it for me. Right? And folks, this raises the question back to, is our hope set upon fully what God is going to do in redeeming the entire being? And is his work, when salvation comes, folks, it begins inside our soul. As I said, he starts changing at the inside, right? The, the, the next thing to come is the full wholeness of that. And this is, again, we're going to see Paul's great hope for physical resurrection was the completion of God's work in our life, the fullness of, of salvation, right? His work in our life. Um, I, I just want to stop here and just say, again, I, I think in the church, we've done a terrible job in discipleship preparing people how to die well. I'll say it again. We've done a terrible job. What has actually impacted us more is the American dream of retirement. And this shows for me, a big, really, other than just not seeing really gray-haired people who are in the church on fire for God, what, what gives me more a sense of, of looking at what's going on is we don't know how to die well. We don't know how to deal with death. We don't know how to deal with moving towards that, that, that time of, of, of death. We haven't taught each other. And what happens is the older we get, right, is, is that really we have to answer the question, am I becoming the person I want to be? Now, look, folks, let's get raw and real right now. We all know what it's like being with somebody who grows old. And we say, I don't want to be like that. We all know what it's like to be around someone as they age. Life gets myopic, gets more about them. They get fear over them. They get less risk-taking. And the reality is, you know what? No one really wants to be with them. It's only family who has to, out of obligation, go take care of them or be with them. That's nowhere in the, that's nowhere in the scripture. And this is harsh, but folks, we just got to deal with it. Again, what kind of person do we want to become? If the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, He is changing us. And the closer, and we're going to see Paul's heartbeat, that he, he wanted to glorify Jesus even in his death, meaning that moving up to that point of death is that he got, what, more bold for God, more gracious, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's just start there with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things, have they been a growing measure in your life. Peace. Are you more a person of peace today than you were 10 years ago? Are you more a person of love? Okay. What about joy? What about joy? One of the saddest things, folks, is to deal with somebody who's aging and the joy is leaving and a hardness is taking hold. The reality of that, we have to deal with it. What kind of person do we want to become? And how much hope do we have in the power, the resurrection power of Jesus to make us in ever increasing that kind of person? So that when death comes is that we're blazing into it. We're not fighting it and being held back by the things of the world over our lives. I hope that makes sense. 
Right? And that's a harsh statement, but it is true. When I try to hold on to life, when I've lived for myself, when my vision of hope for the future has been the world and the things of the world and me, no matter how good and how many good things I'm doing or how religious I'm being, you know what? As I get older, the world closes in and I become harder. And the fruit of the Spirit becomes very evasive, right? And that's not God's plan. That's not his desire for his children. His children is the power of grace, the resurrection power. It should be boldly, right? And Paul even said, I got this, this treasure in this body, this, this jar of clay. It's breaking. This body's failing me. It's getting old and tired and painful. But man, I got this joy in me. I got this treasure in me. And he talks about all oh, the, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it's like a burning fire inside me and nothing can contain it even though this is wasting away on the outside i'm alive on the inside folks is that how american christians are living and aging where do we see that in the church today the deficit in discipleship and let me just do a little side note a little a little just a little uh what do you want to call advertisement outside of a discipleship contact context you know what folks very little transformation will ever take place it's the reason why Jesus gave the great commission to go make disciples. And that is to go do what I did with the 12. So unless we have a context where I have a more spiritual, mature man who I am meeting with regularly, who's holding me accountable in, a, in a, ideally a group of men, and who are pressing in how to be more and more like Jesus and how to really follow him and vice versa, same with women, outside of that context, you realize very little, just showing up at church isn't going to do it. Very little transformation happens by just attending church. The proof of the pudding is look at the American Christianity today. Showing up at a Bible study, that's good. Church, these are all good, necessary things. But the transformation inside a person's soul will be minimal. And every statistic shows and proves that to be the fact in this thing. And it just shows it's a spiritual battle. Why do we battle the context Jesus made? Go make disciples. Be a disciple. Ladies, who are your spiritual mentors? Who's the woman that you are connected to? Who that you are doing life with? Who you are, are te- helping you understand the word of God and to experience transformation, the reality of God in your life like Paul did with Timothy. Gentlemen, who's your men that you're locking arms with? Who are the men that got your back? Who are the men who, when you're together, it's about pushing one another on to be like Jesus, to set our hope on the future so that the older I get, it's not being more consumed about the things of the world, but we're pushing one another on to be more radical and risky for God. And then when we show up at church, guess what? The younger people, they just, they want to be around the older people because, man, you, you guys are radical. You guys are living with joy. I want to be with that. You know, it's sad, but the reality why young people don't want to be with older people Boring and no joy and no adventure. And they look at that. I don't want to live that life. Why, why all this adventure? Why are everybody buying adventure vans and everything right now? It's because they want a purpose for life. They want some fun. They want some adventure. And what they need to see in the church is they need to see people. As we're going to see here, Paul says, follow the example of those who are living this vibrant life. Follow them. Get close to them. Let them disciple you. Let them show you how to live that life. That joyful, abundant, adventurous life of following Jesus. And that death is just an upgrade. It's not to be worked against. It's one to be run headlong into. As Paul, as we're going to see that Paul says, I, I want to glorify you with my death. Right? All right, let's dive in. I got three things here um, in this, in this. And folks, I just encourage you, read the whole book of Philippians this week. And just hone in on these verses this, this, uh, this week, and, and just this idea of, of what we should be pressing forward to. Look at Paul's passion here. We need this passion in the church. We need this passion among men and women in the church. So, because, folks, a, a, a hunger for God is contagious. It's, a, it's to be passed on relationally, faith to faith, as Romans 1 says. And we need this, a restoration of this. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Just to, uh, He says, finally, my brothers, my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Man, 
We need to hear that all the time when we get together. Are you rejoicing? And I like to think of that as rejoying ourselves. Let's get the joy going here. Let's get our, our eyes on the prize on what God has for us here. Is there some joy among God's people? And if not, we need to rejoice in the Lord. Set our eyes on the one who's got our future in his hands. And it's a glorious future, right? Let's rejoice when we get together. And let's, when we're in fellowship, let's, let's minimize the time on politics and social media and, and corona. And let's rejoice in the Lord in the midst of all of it. And change the atmosphere, right, of the conversation that we're in. Now, I'm going to jump down to verse 7. Listen to this. But whatever gain I had, Paul says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's his treasure. It's his treasure. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing him. He repeats that over and over again here. Knowing Jesus. And I ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? This is the treasure. This is our pursuit. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may, here it is, know him, and the power of his resurrection that may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Where is that passion in God's people today? Where's the passion for the full-orbed understanding of salvation? Again, I, I could easily take a little, little sidebar here, but let me just say it this way, is we've grown up in an evangelical world where salvation is primarily and strictly limited to what? The forgiveness of sins. And the reason we do this is because we take cheap grace, is, is I got forgiveness of sins. He's forgiven me. I don't need to worry about the shame of what I've done wrong. And we forget the massive amount of blessing, the massive amount of, of, of promises that God has for us and what he desires for us, even in this life, right? Even in this, the forgiveness of sins, is, that's just the beginning. That just gets us in the door. That gets us into the presence of God. That's not the end result, right, of this whole thing of what God wants. So only in Jesus, folks. I ask you, I challenge you, who else, who else has a, a hope of wholeness for your life? The entire being, who else has that message? Who, just look high and far, who, who else has come to this world to do something for you to, bring, to be able to bring that about? And, and here's the other thing, Jesus, he is the perfect, healthy, whole person. It's fascinating, isn't it, that we don't know that Jesus ever was sick. He's fully human. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. And this wasn't because he was fully God also. We know he suffered. We know he, right, had weakness. He's the perfect example of a whole person, a perfect person. He is the model. Again, I say, who, who else do you want to model life? Who else would you talk about, boy, what kind of person I want to become? He is, he's it. Because we're created in his image. He is our creator. He breathed you into place. He knows you intimately. There's only one in all the universe that has your DNA. There's only one that is cherished like you. There's only one that he has a very specific plan for like you. And he came to redeem you. And he wants, he's got, as, as it says, right, um, all things. Paul speaks about in Romans of promises for you that God desires to, to pour out right upon you. Now, this idea that Paul is saying, I count all these things, those were his victories and also those were his failures. They're, I count them as loss. Anything he could take pride in, he had a lot he could take pride in in a religious manner, he said, it's a loss. It means nothing. Anything that he, his failures, and he had some massive failures like murdering, like persecuting the, the early church. He counts his loss. He sets it all aside. He doesn't let that define him. We're going to come back to this. 
He doesn't let his past define him. It is covered by the cross of what Jesus has done in a righteousness, right? And so how do we become the kind of person? I mean, you got all kinds of self-help, all kinds of things out there trying to tell people how to have a better life now and all this stuff. And, and the only solution ultimately, folks, and until the church in America wakes up and we just get back to the basics of it is the gospel that changes. It is the gospel that is our only hope. Rather than adding to it Jesus plus all this other crap is that we're never going to get the breakthrough that we are promised to have in the scripture right and she and, and paul he, he this was his thing the righteousness it comes from god all of his efforts all of his goodness until the church wakes up to realize is that we're born sinners into this world destined for separated separation from god unless the grace of god changes us until we get a hold of the simple basics of what that is we're not going to see the power of it here and understand that it doesn't matter how good I am, no matter how many causes you can throw yourself at to, no matter how many good works you can do, right, of righteousness. What did he say? He said he was Hebrew of Hebrews. Folks, talk about bold. You know, you read the rest of, of Philippians. Paul says that he was perfect in relation to keeping the law. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's bold. He said he was perfect when it came to the 613 laws to, to be a faithful to the Old Testament. He said he was perfect. Holy moly. And, but he goes on. But it means nothing compared to Christ. The righteousness that I try to build up for myself, it's useless. It will create in me the kind of person I don't want to be. And folks, let's just face it. Who are some of the most ugly people in the scripture and today? The religious people. I'm going to say it again. Some of the ugliest, meanest people are religious people. And there's a reason for that. The people Jesus was most harsh against were the Pharisees, were the religious people. Because like Paul in his early days, is they, they had this chip on their shoulder. I'm better than you because I've done, I haven't broken the laws like you sinner have. And that is a real self-righteousness that's just stinking ugly. Ugly. And so Paul's overwhelmed by this, this thing that is God, by the grace of God. Jesus has done for me. He's, he's only the one that can make me what I need to become. He's the only one who knows what I can become. And I'm leaning into him. Everything else is a loss. Let's get rid of this failures, right? And, and any right kind of uh, success, it's, it means nothing except to know him and to set my eyes on the prize. So real quick, verse 10, 11, folks, man, if, if this heartbeat could restore to us in the church today, he says this, he says that I may know him. He starts there. And again, do you know him? So isn't about, again, right, trying to be good, trying to do the right things. It's about knowing him. Christianity is about a real, incredibly experiential relationship with the living God. That's what God wants. He wants to be known and he wants to know you. And nobody knows you like God. You can't hide from him. Though we try. Want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Well, what does that mean? Is, is it, that's a present tense thing for Paul. In his living life, he wants to know that power in his life now. And how did that look for Paul? Well, it looked for Paul that he partnered with God, with the power of God, not only first and foremost to transform his own life, right, from being a murderer, from being a religious zealot, right, to being this what? The apostle, the church planner, the lover of God's people that took the gospel to the unknown reaches. The power, the resurrection power transformed his life. He wanted to know that. And here it is. He wanted to go the step further. He wanted to partner with God in the resurrection power so he could be a vessel of that power and transformation in other people's lives. And so what does this mean for us when we talk about our hope of what I can become? Is that what Paul is saying here, what the gospel says for all of us is that resurrection power is available to you right now. As a child of God, there is no limit there is no, I'm going to say it again, no limit what you can call God to do. There is no failure in your past. There's no shame in your past. There's no, uh, you know, bondage in our past. There's nothing ugly about my life that the gospel, the resurrection power cannot redeem and deliver and transform now. Now. And Paul wanted to know the fullness of that. He wanted to be free from the flesh, free from all these things. You want the fullness to harness that power. It's available to us, folks. It's available to God's people now. 
And not only to get ourselves free, but then in turn, we're to take that power and we're to minister and step into other people's lives and to see the power transform their lives in this life. And so this idea of what are we becoming, and he goes on, this is, he says that we may share in his suffering. Lord, I want to share in your sufferings. Whoa, be careful what we pray for. What does he mean by that? I want to share in your sufferings, God. How did Jesus suffer? Well, first of all, the suffering on the cross, that's on, don't, that only Jesus can suffer that way. He's God. Only he could do that for the world. So what's Paul talking about? How else did Jesus suffer in his ministry? And folks, there's a lot we could talk about here, but here's how he suffered. Is it is, it, we are called as God's people to what? Bear up one another's burdens. We're called to step into the ugly, dark places of life and to take up Right, each other's burdens. We're to be intercessors. We're to be ministers. We're to step into um, the ugly, diseased places with the power of God and bring hope and help. Right? We're to share in his sufferings. As he wept over a lost world, as he wept over people who were harassed and helpless, is we are to share in his sufferings of carrying out his mission, right, in this world. And the other aspect of this, folks, is, is that Paul understood that for him to become all that God wanted him to be is that a lot of what had to happen in our lives, it, it, it requires suffering. To really be transformed, it requires suffering. For faith to be tested, I have to go through a trial. I have to go through suffering. I can't try to remove it. I can't deny it. I can't just like try to ignore it. It, it. Is that believers, folks, suffering shouldn't set us back. We have a God. We're walking through the valley of shadow of death with our good shepherd. Not a, as the way the world does to try to figure it out or, or, or to be overwhelmed with fear by the suffering. And so, oh Lord, may we, may we become and share with you in your sufferings. And the next thing is becoming like him in his death. What do you think Paul's praying for there? I want to be like you, my dad. So if we're becoming the kind of person God wants us to be, what do you think the trajectory out to, we don't know when our last day is going to be, but what's the perspective on our death? Well, I can tell you, you read earlier in Philippians and Paul says, Lord, I want to glorify you, not just in my life, but I want to glorify you in my death. Whoa. You got one time to go. One time. When you'll enter into eternity. That's it. And at that moment, it says, uh, Hebrews tells us that, right, death comes, then judgment. Immediately we're before the face of God. Got one time to go. Paul says, I want to make it count. I want to live my life as I look towards death. I want to I make it count. I want to be the person as I enter into, into to death, not knowing when it's going to come, I need to be the person, God, you want me to be. And death is not something that scares me. It's something I want to see God glorified in. I want to see God glorified in my death, is what he's saying. And folks, that can only happen in the, the last thing he says, oh, that I may somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. It was Paul was consumed with being whole and to experience the full blessings of what God has promised for his children, which is this eternal state where you have intimate fellowship, physical fellowship, even with Jesus for all eternity and with each other, but with a body. Can you imagine life, folks, unrestrained by physical ailments, emotional ailments? Can you imagine the kind of fellowship we'll experience where we're not having to think what, you know, bad about ourselves or underneath or trying to you know, prove this to that person or that person? I mean, just the freedom of that? Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine the, the, the full expression of love, right, where each person is valued and the whole is valued, the unity and the diversity? Wow, this is what Paul longed for. First in his own life, and then everybody else, right? This is what he's, he's praying for. And so, folks, only Jesus, only in him do we have a hope for wholeness, right? And part of that is the physical body. He's going to make it whole again. He's going to raise you from the dead, just like he was. It says he was the first fruits. He's the first to go. We follow him if we know him, right? We follow him. And so the second thing to look at here in the next few verses is, um, folks, we need to keep a, a forward focus as we press on towards this, this wholeness, is this, this promise of resurrection. And um, let me just read this for us. <clears throat> now, Paul shifts. Now, we can, that first part is kind of lofty for us. We're like, man, that's convicting. Wow, you know. But now we get a little taste of, of Paul's 
honesty. And now I can, it brings me in a little bit to, okay, I can relate to him a little better now, right? He says, not that I have, this is verse 12, obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. In other words, he still stumbles, right? There's still struggles. He said, I mean, look at it. He wrote very honestly about his physical struggles, his emotional struggles, his, his the weight of worry of all the churches and on and on and on for Paul. Is that, man, he, I'm, I'm, but Paul says, I'm, I'm headed. I got my eyes on the prize. Listen to this language. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beautiful. If you know him, do you know Jesus is the one who's made you his own? You're his own, his child. Brothers, I do, and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. Press on for that upward call of God, the prize, right? That, that's the goal that we're to, to look for is, is a full wholeness of God's complete salvation. The last thing to happen is physical resurrection, right? That's that pressing forward that, that Paul has. So let me just say a couple quick things here about this idea of forward focus. Folks, again, well, something has to be restored in the church today when it comes to the gospel. We spend way too much time focused on our past. We spend way too much time hindered by our failures in the past, our trauma in the past, our sin in the past, even maybe our victories in the past, right? Paul was very clear. He had plenty of trauma. He had plenty of guilt to hold him back. His premise always was forward-focused, is the gospel. Yes, we need to take time for the gospel to cover this, but I quickly need to move on to where I am forward-focused. My eyes are set on the prize. And in the church today, we need more discussion. We need more talk about the promises of God, what he has for you, what you are going to become in him, rather than what you were, what I was, or what I struggled with. We'll never get the breakthrough we need to get where we are unchained, unloosened from the past until we are so gospel saturated, so saturated with the promises of God that we, our whole orientation in life refocuses right to a forward focus and we press on and we press on. Oh, we're pulled back because something happen we cover it with the gospel we move back I'm forward focused oh I get pulled back because some trauma something happened I put the gospel on it I move forward forward focus does this make sense folks what's happened again in the church not only do we lower the understanding of the fullness of what God is going to do with the body right but we also have adopted a clinical some process of that you need Jesus plus this long process to get free you don't Nowhere do we see that in Scripture. Don't, don't get me wrong. I know people say, oh, but see, we need counselors. Of course. I'm just trying to point out what the gospel says. The resurrection power is available now, today, right, to manifest his power to do mighty things like it did then. The only reason why we don't see more of that happen and we're so hung up with our past is because we're spending more time talking about our problems than we are focused on the solution, on the promises of God. And expecting him to respond right to his word. And so for Paul, the only way that he could move forward was this keep our eyes on the prize. God is going to make us whole no matter where you've been, no matter what you've struggled with. He's going to make it all whole. And so I need to harness that vision of hope in the future to move forward, right? It's not my past that determines my future, right? It's what I set my future upon. That's faith. That's salvation. That's the work of Jesus, what he's done. Final thing, folks, as we think about this idea of hope, the hope of physical resurrection, listen how Paul concludes this. Brothers and sisters, verse 17, join in imitating me. Wow. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example um, you have in us. Folks, who are your examples? Who are your examples? Young people, who are your examples? Who are you looking at to model your life after? Who are you looking at like, man, I want to become like them. I want to age like them. I want to grow into my older years like them. Who's your model? We've got to have models. This is discipleship. This is what should be happening in the church. And again, who you put your, around your life is going to determine what you become. Who you have in your circles, your faith friends, who you spend the majority of your time, that's what you're going to become. 
It's just a fact of life. It's a fact of scripture says all the time. This is why Paul says, come on, church, get your eyes. Get around some faith friends. Get around some people who have their eyes. You keep encouraging us to get your eyes on the prize on what God is going to do in your life. Don't get held back over here in the past and all this ugliness. Get your eyes set on the gospel. And let that be the conversation, right, that needs to happen. Well, he goes on. Look at this last thing. He says, this, and, and this is, this is oh, I've got to go to the last. Um, oh, wait, I went too far. Drift. Watch out for the drift, folks. Watch out for the drift. Remember, Jesus, he's making us creatures of splendid glory. He's creating you. You're going to be something so glorious. C.S. Lewis goes on in The Way to Glory, if you want a really great book, but woo, you got you to, gotta, it, it's some work. It says that in the church, you look at, when there's, there's no ordinary people. How you see each other right now is nothing, but if we could see what you're becoming, we would be tempted to worship it because it's so glorious. Because we are going to become like him. And this is what it says. But watch out for the drift. Paul, in his pain and honesty, says, verse 18, for many, he says, many of whom I have told you, often told you, and now tell you, even with tears Walk as enemies of the cross. These are people within the church. And they've, locked, they've, got, they've got their eyes off the prize and they've got them on the world and they've become enemies. They are enemies. They are bringing division and get, helping other people get their eyes off the prize and on other things. He says this with tears. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Oh, folks, we all feel each one of these, the pull of the world. The God is their belly. It's consumerism. Or I'm tempted to consume more of the world than I am God's promises. Right? We all struggle. But boy, it's dangerous. They glory in their shame. Oof. In other words, it's taking something, and folks, we're in the middle of it right now. We're in the middle of Romans 1 for a nation, for our country, because we have a whole nation who is pressing and putting out there and glorifying something that is an abomination to God. And they're calling others to accept it, right? They glory in their shame. It's shameful. It's an abomination to God, right? And this is, and I think you, you might be thinking, I'm thinking about one thing, but folks, I'm actually thinking about just the overall impurity in the church. We glory in our freedom to say, this is my body, I can do with it what I want. When if you're saved, Scripture says this, your entire being has been saved. This body's no longer mine, it's his. And I'm to honor him with this body. And if I don't, if I, if I flaunt something, this is what he's talking about, right? These, this is the church. This isn't out there. This is inside the church Paul's talking about. And of course, just setting our minds on earthly things. But listen to this. Let's end with this. Man, but our citizenship, and this is the word in Greek we get politics from. Oh, our circle, what we're identified with, our politics, let me just put it that way. Is in heaven. All right, should be set on heaven. Our citizenship's there. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will, listen, here it is, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Man, let that sink in. Your citizenship, man, be careful. What's defining who you are? And let me just ask you, all of your political discussions, mass discussions, social distancing discussions, everything else that we've all been having, by the way, is that making you a more beautiful person? It's convicting, isn't it? Mm. Folks, we're citizens of heaven. First and foremost, we honor the Lord there. He's our king. He's our ruler. Right? And Paul's writing to people in Philippi right now who Philippi was a major uh, stronghold of the Roman uh, emperor. And the point was is that, yes, you're under the power in Philippi there. The, the main kingdom is in Rome with an emperor. But realize your citizenship's not in Philippi and you don't honor, you don't first and foremost honor that emperor. You are citizens of heaven. And that king is returning again. And you're to honor him. 
Because when he returns, he's going to transform our lowly body into something glorious, just like his, and complete this work of, of salvation. And so, folks, we need to press in and restore today the glorious hope we have of, of Jesus, him making all things new, making us whole in him. And folks, the world needs this. It's a great avenue and bridge to talk to people about wholeness. Everybody desires wholeness. And the question is, hey, how, do, how are you making yourself healthy? In all aspects. Listen, listen Aspen here, mind, body, spirit. How you, how's that working? What does wholeness look like? What is your hope for wholeness in the future? We're to be lights for that. Jesus has come, right, to bring a glorious salvation that is holistic. He's saving all of you, right? So let's uh, take some time. Derek, come on up. And um, man, let's just listen to the Lord. And, and uh, the mics are open here. Just if we have a few people that want to bring a, an encouragement for us. Again, this is not politics. This is the kingdom of God. And just bring something. If it's a word, if it's something, uh, if it's on your heart, bring it this morning to encourage us before we go. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and your goodness. Lord, um, Father, I just, I think I can't get off, Lord, verse 8, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Father, I ask to restore that in our hearts, restore that in your church. Let's not forget the last part, Lord. That means we submit to your word and everything in our life. Lord, that's where the abundant adventure is. We love you, God. Holy Spirit, move among us now. Let us encourage each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.